This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. Like, how have the mercies of God affected your individual life? I remember for me, just as I think across my life and I think of the mercies of God and how He's dealt with me. And there was, you know, as a teenager, I was just living for myself and openly rebellious against the things of God and pursuing my own life the way that I wanted to. And then one day on December 5th, 1997, God reached into my heart as a senior in high school and He said, I want you to be saved. The mercies of God. Some say the very air we breathe on a daily basis is a miracle of God in itself. Or think about the boundless free will you have in this life. An all-powerful, almighty God still gives us the power of choice. Listen in as Pastor Cody shares a personal story of the mercy of God that radically transformed his life for eternity. Perhaps you have an impactful story of redemption, but now you're searching for the will of God in this adventure. Today, Discover the biblical formula in partnering your own life with the steps of God. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 12 and join Pastor Cody for today's edition of Redemption Radio. Go ahead and open up your Bible to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be spending our time today. And if you've been with us in our study through Romans, we've made pretty quick jump through Romans 9, 10, and 11. And now in chapter 12, we're going to slow way down again as we get into Romans chapter 12. We're only going to go through a couple of verses together today. Have you ever had a time in your life where you wondered, what is the will of God? I'm like, huh, yeah, that's all the time. I mean, maybe even right now, you're in the middle of a season or a decision or a time or some circumstances where you're wondering, God, what is your will? What do you want for me? What's God's will in this, you know, fill in the blank in my life? And it can be hard enough to try to figure that out, but it gets even more complicated and more difficult when you start to consider different possible choices of things and none of them are bad choices. When you have lots of good choices, that's when it's even harder and even more difficult to figure out what to do with God's will. And so what do we do? What do we do when we have these choices before us, these options before us, these decisions and situations before us, and we're trying to figure out what is God's will. And it's a good thing that God doesn't leave us in the dark on this. He actually tells us what it is that we need to do, exactly how to know his will. That's what we're going to be looking at together today. And so here's our big idea. The will of God is revealed to those who are submitted to God. The will of God is revealed to those who are submitted to God as we look at Romans 12, 1 through 2. So let's read those two verses together and then we'll go through and break it down. It says this, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to open your word and to be able to study it. And we pray that you would speak to us, God, that you would show us what it is that you have to tell us through these verses that you've penned for us. God, thank you that You have given us not just this idea of a connection with you in this sort of 
supernatural, emotional kind of a way, but you've also given to us your word so that we can be sure that we know what it is that you're saying and the things that you do. God, thank you for the way that you've communicated so clearly. And we pray that you would give us understanding. Show us how we can draw near to you and we can understand you and we can be, as your word tells us here, our minds can be transformed. We pray that that work would be done today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans 12, 1 through 2 breaks down as we're going to look at it together in three parts. All right, we're going to look at it in three pieces today. Verse 1, a body offered to God. The first part of verse 2, a mind transformed by God. And then the second part of verse 2, a will established in God. Now, Romans 12 begins a brand new division in the book of Romans. When we started the book of Romans a few months ago, we started with this idea that we're going to divide it into some pieces, some different parts. And we looked at these different parts and we said that the first one was going to be the introduction, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. The second division, the wrath of God, verse 118, all the way through 320. And the third division being the grace of God, chapter 3, verse 21, all the way through 839. The fourth division being the plan of God, chapters 9 through 11. And now here we are today in the fifth division of the book of Romans, the will of God, chapters 12 through 15. So that's where we're starting today is this new focus on the will of God. And that's what we're looking at throughout this section in chapters 12 through 15. Now the focus here in chapter 12 shifts away from being primarily theological to being primarily practical. It's not that we don't have theology in this, it's just that the focus isn't theological, whereas the first 11 chapters, the focus is almost exclusively theological. It's This is the stuff you got to know, and then as we get to there, now it's what do we do with what do we know. So let's look at this first part together in verse 1, a body offered to God. Read verse 1 with me again, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now here we have this fourth therefore in the book of Romans. As we've gone through Romans, there's been a series of therefores, and we've noted along the way as we've come across these that each one of them is like tying concepts together. We're taking the previous thoughts and we're tying them together with a new thought, and this is the bridge that brings it together. And in Romans, this marks a massive shift in chapter 12 as it's emphasized with the phrase or the word beseech. Now, I don't know the last time you've said beseech. I don't know when you said, you've told someone that you beseech them about something. Maybe you said to your wife, I beseech you, please make something amazing for dinner tonight. Or maybe your wife doesn't cook and you're the one that cooks and she said that to you. I don't know when the last time you used that word it was, but we, it's just not a modern term, right? It's not something that we say. You don't hear somebody beseeching you all the time. And so the modern equivalent would be something like I'm begging you. Would you just please get what I'm saying? And so it's like this, urgency wrapped up with it. I'm begging you to grasp what I'm talking about. And so what is he begging us to do? What is he begging them to do? Well, that's not only is the therefore tied to beseech, but also look at the word after therefore, brethren. This is very specifically targeted toward Christian believers. This isn't just something that is for anybody and everybody to now try to figure out how, okay, I got the stuff. Now I got to figure out how to do it. And he's telling me what to do. And I'm just going to go through the motions of the doing. He's saying this is for those who are in Christ. If you want to know God's will, then this is primarily important. It's for brethren, for the believers in Christ to take action in chapters 12 through 15. It's basically the so what that follows after chapters 1 through 11. 
Once you understand what's taking place in Romans 1 through 11, then it's the so what? I mean, why, why does that matter? Why is that such a big deal to me? Why should I do anything with this at all? And the truth of the matter is that learning must be revealed in the living. That what we're doing isn't simply academic, it's also athletic. That we want to actually do something with what we're learning. Otherwise, we're just going through religious motions and doing really nothing for ourselves. We're just kind of learning some facts and some trivia instead of actually being conformed into the image of God. James 1.22 says it like this, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. There's a self-deception that can take place where I think that just because I heard God's word, just because I learned some theology, just because I went to a Bible college, just because I heard a preacher, just because I've read the whole Bible, now that's all I need to do. That encapsulates and incorporates everything that there is within the Christian life. And that's just not true. There's got to be something more that the learning results in living. Now, before getting into it, Paul ties the activities of God to notice there in verse 1, by the mercies of God. So the things that you're going to do are tied to this phrase, the mercies of God. And really what that phrase is, is an encapsulation of the truths that have been laid out for us in Romans up to this point. It's 11 chapters of theology that he's referencing. It's this sort of one term to reference all of that Stuff And here's the big principle that we've got to get out of this, is that application flows from theology. That right learning produces right living. But we've got to get that correct. We've got to get that established in the right order. You see, to start with application and then search for a theology to apply it might sometimes lead you in the right direction, but most often it'll lead you the wrong way. In fact, many times it's produced entire theologies that are heresy. They've led people away from God, not toward God, because they started with an application and then searched for something in the Bible to meet the application. Even by the way that Romans lays out, it shows us the exact opposite. You do the learning and then you apply the learning, which is why we go through the Bible the way we do here at Redemption, which is why we're so devoted to what's called expository teaching. Because we first want to expose what the Bible says, expository, expose what the Word of God says, and then say, because we know what this says, what does this mean? How does this affect us? What does this do for us and in us and through us? You see, application flows from theology, not the other way around. And so what is the theology? I mean, what did we go over? Well, just a brief, quick recap of what we've been through in the book of Romans is this, that the first three chapters essentially tells us that we're all condemned. All of humanity have all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And yet in that, even though we have all condemned, we can all be made righteous through Jesus. That though we're condemned as sinners, we can be made righteous through Jesus. And chapter 4 shows us that justification is possible for us by faith in Jesus. And remember, Abraham was the example of that. Abraham was justified by faith, and so too we can experience that justification, that we're declared as holy and righteous as Jesus is because of faith in Him. In chapter 5, we see that we are given access to God, meaning in life, hope of heaven, the hope of heaven, all because of Jesus. 
that he gives us all of these things in our lives. Access to God, meaning in life, and the hope of heaven. In chapter 6 through 8, we saw that we are freed slaves that have been adopted by God in Jesus. That it's his blood, it's his life given for us, his death, burial, and resurrection that brings us this adoption. And then chapters 9 through 11, we saw that God is faithful to Israel, and he'll be faithful to me by Jesus. That the whole thing's about Jesus, and really it's all unveiling these theological concepts that establish us in our faith in the Lord. And all of that is encapsulated by this phrase, the mercies of God. When he says the mercies of God, he's referencing all of those things that we've already covered. And I think it's important for us when we think about the mercies of God, not to just think about it in terms of dry theology. Isn't it easy to do that? You know, it's a systematic theology book or, you know, we think about justification and glorification and sanctification and there's theology words and it can be very dry. It can be very sterile. But I think it's important for us to not only think of it that way, but to also think of it in terms of personally. Like, how have the mercies of God affected your individual life? I remember, for me, just as I think across my life, and I think of the mercies of God and how He's dealt with me, and there was, you know, as a teenager, I was just living for myself and openly rebellious against the things of God and pursuing my own life the way that I wanted to, and then one day, on December 5th, 1997, God reached into my heart as a senior in high school, and He said, I want you to be saved the mercies of God. And then God, after trying to find you know, a church here and there and, and trying to figure out where God was going to have me land, I landed at this little church called White Mountain Bible Church in Sholo, Arizona. And there's a faithful pastor there who opened God's word, much like what we're doing today. And he just taught through the scriptures. He loved the people of the church. He loved me. He loved the word of God and he was faithful to teach it. And the fact that I was able to find that church is the mercies of God, that God led me there. And then as I was considering, God, what are you going to do with me? And I felt this pull toward ministry, and I started thinking about where am I going to go to school, and I started researching all these different Bible colleges and, and trying to figure it out. I ended up at this college I'd never even heard of called Calvary Chapel Bible College, and I wasn't even associated with Calvary Chapels. And I, it was a friend of a friend who knew about this, and I, was, I started looking into it and started being led there. And that two years that I spent at CCBC was what I would call the most formative two years of my Christian experience. It transformed my life in ways that nothing else ever had up to that point and has since. And that's the, that's the mercies of God. He led me there. It was by the mercies of God that I was led there. And, and somehow, as I graduate from Bible college and I, you know, I have this amazing woman in my life, Jesus somehow tricked her into marrying me. And that's, if you know us, you know, that's the mercies of God. And he's given us four beautiful, amazing, godly daughters that love and serve Jesus. That is the mercies of God. That's not because we're awesome parents. It's because of the mercies of God. It's stuff that God does, you know, and I think about all of those things. And I, I think about how in 2014, we start this little home Bible study, moving a thousand miles and thinking, well, who's going to come to this? And somehow he's planted, Jesus has planted a church that we get to be a part of today at Redemption. It's the mercies of God. It's all the mercies of God. And so we've got to be careful to see this, not just as the stuff that's over there, but the stuff that God's doing in my life. And I'd be willing to bet that as I explain some of these things that I've gone through, you can identify that in your life as well. Where God has met you, where God has come through for you, where God has shown up in this overly merciful way to take care of you or to lead you or to give you that nudge in the right direction when you needed it. 
You see, if you want to know the will of God, you got to start somewhere that seems a little bit obscure, maybe even a little bit disconnected. And as he gets all of this, all of this is build up. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. It seems a little obscure, but if you want to know the will of God, you start with submitting your body to God. It seems kind of weird. Like, what are we talking about here? How am I going to get there from here? Well, notice it says, present your bodies, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, that word present, it's a technical term that's actually related to the Levitical priesthood. So when he's talking about, when it says present, what he's talking about is the way that Priests in the Old Testament, they would take these animals and then they would kill the animal, they would prepare the animal, they'd take some of the parts, they'd put it on the altar and then it would be burned up and consumed as an offering before God. When he says present, it's that sort of process by which the priest would do all those things and lay the offering on the altar. And what he's saying here is that you need to take your body and do the same thing that the priest would do, that your body is presented that way. And in this, essentially what he's saying is that the only right response to God's great mercy in your life is to give him an offering. And the only right offering is your absolute everything. There's nothing that comes short of your absolute everything that's even worthy to be offered to the Lord. It's got to be absolutely everything. Now in the Old Testament, they would give a dead offering, right? You can cut parts off the animal and burn it up without it dying. But in the New Testament here, notice it's a living sacrifice. You present your bodies as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. God's not saying that we need to all drink the Kool-Aid, has been stated in the past by some. What he's saying is that we need to actually give ourselves as a living sacrifice, which means not in my death, but in my life, my very breath, the very thing I'm doing in every moment of every day, all of the things that are attached to my life are all offered to him. But here's the problem with, with a living sacrifice. It can crawl off the altar, right? That's the problem. You ever experienced that? Where you're like, God, you can have all of me. God, that my whole life is given to you. Uh, everything is yours. And then you get distracted and you find yourself wandering off over here doing something else. And then you realize, oh man, I'm not, I'm not really doing, okay, oh, God, my life is, re- I'm rededicating my life to you. And there's a sense in which that's not necessarily bad. That's part of the human experience. But there's another sense in which that is not supposed to be the way that it is, right? This whole idea of the presentation of the priest, it's a one-time thing. It's a final kind of a thing. And so we need to approach it from the perspective of saying, God, I'm giving you my everything. And this is a lifelong kind of a commitment that I'm in and that there's no going back. The kind of commitment that I make to my wife. It's not like, well, I'm in as long as you make me happy and you, know, you make me food and then we can be friends. Because if you've had my wife's food, it's amazing. She knows what she's doing. It's definitely a spiritual gift. But the thing is that we tend to approach God in this way of like, well, I mean, I'm sort of in. And what Paul's calling us toward is if you want to know God's will, you got to be all in with Jesus. It can't be this half in, half out, halfway there, I'll sort of go for the Lord, but not really. You see, because of the spiritual emphasis of Christianity, we tend to ignore or downplay the importance of our bodies. 
our physical body. The truth is that you're a triune being made in the image of God. God is triune, right? We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're a triune being as well. You have mind, you have body, and you have spirit. And we have a tendency because things are so spiritual and because what we're doing right now is even an act of learning that's more mental, we have a tendency to downplay the physical aspects of things within our lives and to say, well, that doesn't really matter so much. But the truth is, what we're being told and what's being presented is we need to actually offer our bodies. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 talks about this, and it says this in verse 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God, notice, with your body. There is an emphasis in Scripture upon your body. And the reason is because you cannot do something to one part of yourself that doesn't affect the rest of you. Anybody ever been hangry? You're like, I am right now. Stop talking so I can go get some food. You get irrational and emotional and even sometimes mean. Why? Because you're hungry. Because of a physical thing that's happening within you. You ever had emotions that overcame you so much that you physically were sick? That can happen as well. You are intimately tied together in your body and in your mind and in your spirit. You cannot do something to one part that doesn't affect the rest, which is one of the huge lies that's being told in the abortion industry. What they're trying to tell people is that it's just a clump of cells. No, that's actually a child. That's a person. And what they're trying to say is you can get rid of the clump of cells and it won't do anything to you. And the fact is it's plunging people into despair and hopelessness because they think they can disconnect their body from their mind and their spirit. And you cannot. You cannot. You can't do that. And so the truth of the matter is that we are intimately connected and tied together and our bodies matter a lot. If you abuse or misuse your body, it's going to limit or hinder, or even render you useless to the things of the Lord, the stuff that God has for you to do. We have to take care of our bodies. We have to be careful to give attention to our bodies in a way that is honorable to God. And so we're given two qualifiers for this type of sacrifice. What does it mean when I sacrifice my body, I place my body on the altar before the Lord? How do I do it? Well, there's two things. Notice there in verse one, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. The idea of holy is the the concept of sacred. It's something set apart. It's something that is not used for common purposes. And so what this is telling us is that when I offer my body to God and saying, God, I'm not going to use my body for sinful purposes, but I'm not going to use it for sinful kinds of things. Now, I'm also not going to use it to be religiously abused. That's also tied up in that. There are people who think that, you know, they have to somehow beat themselves up and torture their bodies because their bodies are so evil and prone towards sinfulness as if somehow that's going to cause them to become more holy or acceptable before God. And so this encapsulates that concept as well, that we're not going to use our bodies for sinful purposes. We're not going to religiously abuse our bodies. We're going to see our bodies as a gift of God and as an instrument to be used for his glory. That my body is this thing that I'm able to use that interacts with this world. It's your user interface, if you want to call it that. Uh, that you use it to interact with this world. And so you're going to use it for his glory. And the second qualifier that we have is not only holy, but also acceptable. You see that there? Acceptable. This is the idea of well-pleasing. That's what acceptable means. Maybe even your translation even says well-pleasing. And this is kind of saying, 
everything else. The idea of holy is set apart to say not sinful. But the idea of acceptable is kind of like anything else that you could do with your body as far as life goes. It's the idea of physical health being a spiritual sacrifice to God. That I look at the way I care for my body and it's not just a physical thing. That the way I eat, the way I exercise, the way I rest, the way I have recreation, the way I treat my body is actually an offering to God. That I'm sacrificing to Him by the way that I treat my body. It's this spiritual thing that's taking place. It's not just a physical thing. Skip Heidzik says it like this. So your body and my body can be a base of operations for God to work through. He wants to touch the world through you. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Redemption Radio as we study the book of Romans with Pastor Cody. Within this book, the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans about personal things such as greeting people he knows, but also touches on some deep theological concepts that can throw people at times. Romans is a foundational book when it comes to what you believe as a Christian. What you can't deny as you read through it is that there's a clear message of God's salvation. We as human beings are separated from God because of sin. But because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, He redeems all of that and brings us into relationship with Him. Do you have such a relationship with God? We certainly hope so. If you're uncertain what that means, don't hesitate to get in touch to clear up some of the things you may not understand about salvation. You can reach us by going to redemptioncalvary.org. Under the Connect tab, you'll find what we believe the Bible says about salvation. If you'd like to hear someone's voice over the phone, we can do that too. Here's our number, 720-466-5358. Once again, that's 720-466-5358. One more way to get in touch with us is over email. Our email address is info at redemptioncalvary.org. Thanks for listening, and make sure to subscribe to our podcast of Redemption Radio.